Well, we've been around the block as of today's reading, haven't we? Last spring we began Daniel with these heroic stories in Babylon. And at first they're all about the king's dreams, Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel's amazing ability to interpret them following his amazing prayer. Then his faith conflicts with Babylonian culture, matters of food and worship and prayer, and those wonderful miracles in the lion's den, fiery furnace. God may have sent them into exile, but clearly he is responsive and present with them. Lately, Daniel's been the one dreaming, and as we saw last week, the apocalyptic dreams disturbed him so much that he went to bed for three days. Even Daniel comes to the end of himself, doesn't he? And then, what does he do? He goes back to work. It's a good lesson there for all of us. I was in the uh, Xerox room last week, uh, looking out at the million-dollar view, like I, we do sometimes. And um, closest to me, there was a dead fly on the windowsill. Outside the window, I saw the newly refurbished copper lantern in its beauty. Beyond was our rear lawn, on down the hill to our driveway, and then Alex and Kat's apple trees, things I think should go the way of all flesh. And finally, Shadyside Academy off in the distance, and beyond that, the moon. The book of Daniel is just like this. Some events are several hundred years away, some are as close as the dead fly, and some are at the very end of time. This week, too, Daniel is concerned with time. He's read Jeremiah's prophecy, and it's on page 656 of your pew Bibles, chapter 29, verse 10. The time is 70 years. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you. Enter Daniel praying. Daniel is realizing the 70 years are here. It's time. He turns his face toward God as though they were at Starbucks about to have a conversation. He makes a decision to pray, taking his directions from Jeremiah, calling upon God, seeking God with all his heart, asking God to gather the dispersed. So before we look at Daniel's prayer, let me just say this about prayer in the ancient Near East. It was a land of many gods and many kinds of prayer, Bizarre things like muttering incantations and walking, dragging your leg, casting bones upon the ground, and the murder of babies. Biblical faith, our Christian faith, 
rejects any attempts on our part to use magic or formulas to control or placate God. With our God, conversation is what is called for. I believe there's a deep connection between our prayers and our living. Our lifestyle and our prayers should match coming to God with humility and trust. I was in a small group for six years. I didn't have a humble moment the whole time. You should have heard my prayers. Oh, I was so lofty and intelligent and passionate. I'm glad I'm not there anymore. We have a God of mercy and grace. God answers prayers to express his own character, not because of what we do or don't do. Daniel and Abraham and Moses, I challenge you to go back and read those conversations, have the chutzpah to suggest to God that God should act in a certain way because his own mercy and grace demand such a response. Look up Exodus 32:14. The Lord can relent with this kind of conversation. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is a thing of the past. Daniel continues to find favor with the Persian Mede rulers. Darius is mentioned here. He would be about 80 years old now as he remembers Jeremiah's prophecies about the 70 years. Time to pray. And he says, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting sackcloth and ashes. Fasting, he's rubbing dirt into his skin and his burlap. So let's get this. This is the Tom Brady of Israel, or the Steve Jobs of technology, or even the Jimmy Dean of breakfast sausages. He's been dead I don't know how long, but he's still on the commercial. (laughs) But Daniel is wearing dust and ashes and going without food. He's fasting for the sake of his people. Daniel is interceding for Israel as he confesses as Israel. In fact, his prayer is considered the most other-centered prayer in the entire Bible. Majestic is what the word that Alex used for it this morning. Notice how Daniel seeks God by pleas for mercy, not pleas of innocence or minimizing. Notice how Daniel honors God's faithfulness, not his own. Notice the use of the Lord my God. This person, Daniel, is addressing the person of God, his God. Later in the prayer, he switches to the Lord, our God, because he is interceding for the Israelites. He approaches God as his own. Oh, my God. And then he stretches it to include Israel. Oh, Lord, our God. Notice also how definitively he says to God over and over, we get it, God, there is no good in us. There isn't a feather of rationalization here. He doesn't once say, but I gave it the office. But they weren't always that bad. Sometimes they actually obeyed. No. 
This is repentance, not excuses, not blaming others. Daniel's theology, his knowledge of God is right on. And Daniel's anthropology is is also aware of chronic human sin. It's straightforward. Daniel seeks mercy not because people in any way deserve it. His best plan is to challenge God to act like God. Exodus tells us what Daniel had always known about God. When Moses asks to see God, remember that, Yahweh relents and then shows him his personal MMPI. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, but only because mercy and forgiveness are his character. Daniel knows we don't have a foot to stand on. Two more brief observations. One I wonder about. Look at verse 12b. Just how bad is it, Daniel? Well, he says, For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what God has done against Jerusalem. And as bad as bad could be, the people still refuse to turn from their iniquities and gain insight from God's truth. How bad can we paint this situation? Notice, too, the extravagant use of the names of God in this prayer. Last night I asked how many times the Lord's name was used in the prayer, and Anne Stankiston knew the answer. Do any of you know the answer? Robert, you can't talk. How many times is God mentioned, do you suppose, in this prayer? Somebody. Dale. Okay. Actually, 60 times. 60 times. It's front-loaded to how bad people are and how badly they need him in the first half and, and most of the second half is about God and calling out to God. Sixty times Daniel uses God's name. Do you think he was having a conversation with God? Sixty times. And it gets stronger towards the end of the prayer. Have you ever had the experience of going into your prayer time with a ho-hum attitude? And the longer you stay there, the more your heart starts flashing warning signals, pay attention to me, I'm where you really live, that happens here too. Fifty times the people are mentioned, and back and forth between God's goodness and the people's badness. Verse 16, Daniel prays for God's wrath to be turned away. Why? Because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Do you know what a byword is? I had to look it up. Israel's not only really bad, but everyone around them knows it. They are notoriously bad. It's gone viral. They have 10 million followers laughing and talking about that. 
And if I know anything about the Lord our God, he doesn't like that. He wants his reputation, his name, to be honored so that he can reveal himself to us. God's people are shamed in front of everyone, open shame. God, Daniel cries, God doesn't like his people to mess up. And God cares both about his name because the desire of his heart is to pitch his tent among us. Notice, too, that Daniel structures this prayer so that God is praised and honored for his love and discipline, and the people are vilified and guilty in their sin. And the finale is a roadmap straight to Daniel's heart. Now Daniel's patience is giving out with a passionate, How long, O Lord? Listen to this. These are commands, actually. Daniel's saying, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Look at the second verse in the psalm we just read. It's talking about this same exact thing, but explains it. He saved them for his name's sake to make his power known. I don't know who's doing the lectionary, but he's pretty bright. I challenge all of us to open our hearts in prayer like this. Beth Moore says that when we read the Bible, God is talking to us. And we should actually talk back. God wants a two-way conversation with us. This man, John Mark Comer, written this wonderful book. You can see I haven't used it much. God has a name. I recommend it highly. The women's group just finished it. He says, God seems to love a kind of raw, uncut prayer coming out of our gut, our heart, skirting the line between blasphemy and desperate faith. That's where we live, isn't it? Desperate faith. God is not nearly as scared of honesty as we are. Yahweh is not the unmoved mover of Aristotle. He's the relational, dynamic God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, and Daniel, the God who responds, who can be moved, influenced, who can change his mind at a moment's notice. He would be less of a God if he could not change his intentions when he wants to or be open to new ideas from intelligent, creative beings. He's in relationship like us. Friends, we are made for prayer. We are designed to talk to our loving God, whatever our circumstances, whatever our sin. But he will always be true to himself. Amen.